he can sing. That's a big deal to be a student. I mean, your beard is luscious and beautiful, but still, to be a, <laughs> to be a dude standing in front of people, man, that's courage. And those beautiful voice, harmony, beautiful, golly. All right. Um, let's turn to Psalm 2. We're spending our time leading up to Easter, the great resurrection Sunday. But every Sunday is Resurrection Sunday. I want you to know that. We, we, we're anticipating the beautiful reality of Easter Sunday, but that's really why we worship on Sunday. Is every Sunday we gather together to, to celebrate the resurrection of Christ. And in anticipation of Easter, we're looking at these Psalms of Salvation. We've looked at Psalm 23 that we have a good shepherd. We have a God who is with with us through the valleys of deep darkness. We looked at Psalm 1, that it is God's character that we need. He is giving to us, restoring to us His character and His people. We need His character in us, living through us, and we need to be welcomed into His congregation, to be identified with the group. That's what you need. You need God's character, and you need His people. And this morning we see that we need His King. We have Him as a shepherd, and we need Him to be our King. Now, another preliminary note before we look into this. Um, I, I want you to consider this as a promise, but more a promise like Five Guys Burgers and Fries than a promise like Sonic. Here's what I mean. You guys are familiar with Five Guys Burgers and Fries and Sonic? Uh, I like the tots at Five Guys Burgers and uh, at, at Sonic. I like the tots. Um, and right in that nice little cup, they always fill it with the exact number of tots that would fit into the container. This psalm is not Sonic tots. This psalm is Five Guys Burgers and Fries. You ever been to Five Guys Burgers and Fries? It's a place that sells... Um, burgers and fries and when you order like you can't get it like a tuna salad sandwich there it's when you order the french fries and you're a christian and you get the cajun sauce uh seasoning i'm just kidding you can get it with salt when you get the french fries at five guys burgers and fries it's spilling out of the container it's in the bag. The bag is greasy with potential. You know, I ordered a small french fry and they took the french fries and it overwhelms the container. Psalm 2 is the five guys' burgers and fries of promises. It doesn't fit in its container. It can't just be one human king. It's spilling out with potential. So let's look together at Psalm 2. We have it there in the insert printed out from the NIV. Psalm 2, verses 1 through 12. Why do the nations conspire and the peoples plot in vain? The kings of the earth rise up and the rulers band together against the Lord and against His anointed, saying, 
Let us break their chains and throw off their shackles. The one enthroned in heaven laughs. The Lord scoffs at them. He rebukes them in His anger and terrifies them in His wrath, saying, I have installed My King on Zion, My holy mountain. I will proclaim the Lord's decree. He said to Me, You are My Son. Today I have become Your Father. Ask Me and I will make the nations Your inheritance, the ends of the earth Your possession. You will break them with the rod of iron. You will dash them to pieces like pottery. Therefore, you kings, be wise. Be warned, you rulers of the earth. Serve the Lord with fear and celebrate His rule with trembling. Kiss His Son, or He will be angry, and your way will lead to your destruction. For His wrath can flare up in a moment. Blessed are all who take refuge in Him. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, open the eyes of our hearts. Let us see Jesus and Him alone, the author and the perfecter of our faith, bridge the infinite gap from these words written in black and white to our hearts. We need You now. Holy Spirit, come. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. So, it's good to see Psalm 1 and 2 as the doorway to the whole Psalms. Psalm 1 begins with, Asher, blessed is the one who has God's character and has God's people. Psalm 2, historically, there is some thought that Psalm 2 is a continuation of Psalm 1. It's been divided, potentially Ezra, when he, by the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, arranged the Psalms and put them in, you can see book 1, there's five books of the Psalms. Ezra put them together there. Psalm 1 begins with Asher, blessed is the one who has God's character, is included in God's people. And at the very end, you see, do you see? It says, Asher is the one who, blessed is the one who takes refuge in Him. So you have these brackets as an introduction to having God's character, having God's people, and having God's King. That's the one who is blessed. It's interesting when you think about kings. Our, we, we love telling stories about the king. Return of the king. Game of Thrones. Robin Hood is waiting on King Richard, the Lionheart. And since we're referencing cartoons this morning, the great King Farquaad from Shrek. Remember King Farquaad? Who uh, is this little man and Shrek is this ogre, and he has to rescue the wonderful Princess Fiona from the dragon, and King Farquaad, who is this fake, ridiculous man, and he says this, this uh, inspirational speech uh, to the knights before they turn against each other to do battle. The king, this little man from the cartoon, says, Brave knights! You are the best and brightest in all the land. Today, one of you shall prove himself. That champion shall have the honor, no, no, the privilege to go forth and rescue the lovely Princess Fiona from the fiery keep of the dragon. If for any reason the winner is unsuccessful, 
the first runner-up will take his place, and so on and so forth. Some of you may die, but it's a sacrifice I'm willing to make. Isn't that the world's kings? Some of you may die, but it's a sacrifice I'm willing to make. You see, this psalm teaches us that there is a promise of a king. There is a problem of the king, and there is the power of the king. You can't live without a king. This is amazing in a democracy to say. But this psalm first teaches us that you will either have Jesus as a king or you'll have Lord Farquads as a king. The Bible's authority tells us you cannot live without a king. We have this promise from verses 4 through 9. Do you see how it says, The one enthroned in heaven laughs. The Lord scoffs at them. We have a powerful king in the Scriptures. The promise of this king is first that the king of Psalm 2, the king of the Bible, is powerful. He laughs. You might be confused by that. You might say, what do you mean? I I thought that, why is God like chortling up in heaven? You have rebellious kings, rulers, who look at God and say, we are going to throw off the chains. We're going to throw off the fetters. We are in charge of our own life. We are rebelling against this king. You're not our king. Psalm 2 says, God's like, looking at you the way you look at a three-year-old <laughs> throwing a temper tantrum in the corner. God scoffs, God scoffs at human rebellion. He's powerful. He's not threatened by rebellious human beings. He doesn't break a sweat. He is powerful. This psalm tells us that God laughs at their rebellion. God dashes them like pottery. That His wrath can flare up in a moment. We have a powerful God. He's big enough for our world's problems. He's big enough for our country's problems. He's big enough for your family's problems. He looks at the problems of this world like pottery that he just flicks off a table and it dashes. God is powerful. He's also personal. You see, we also have in the Scriptures, if we have a God who laughs, we also have a God who grieves. And Jesus wept. If we have a God who dashes, who sees his enemies, his real enemies, and will destroy them, we also have a God who restores. He rebuilds. He replenishes. He heals. We have a God that the Scriptures say he will not break a bruised reed, a little 
a little stick. A little stick that's broken by the riverside, a bruised reed that's barely hanging on. It's a wilted flower. Isaiah tells us that God won't break it off and snap it off. A smoldering wick that barely has any flame. He won't snuff it out. He's careful. He's kind and generous. Slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and mercy. He's both that we as Christians get to embrace the andness of this God who is powerful and personal. Like the prayer you used to pray as a little one. God is great and God is good. Let us thank Him for His food. If He wasn't great, why would it matter that He was good? When I would go to elementary school and the bullies would look at me and call me Gay J the Miller Boy, and my mom, would, who was good, would say, Ah, oh, Jay, what do they know about you? And I'd cry and she'd dry my tears and she'd, you know, make me fluffernutter sandwiches and let me watch all the cartoons I wanted, G.I. Joe and all the cartoons I ever wanted. She just, she was good, but she wouldn't come and punch those bullies in the throat. But if God was only good and personal, but not great, what's the point? But if He was only great, like Pol Pot, Hitler, or Stalin, who was mighty, who could wave his hand and hundreds, thousands, millions would die because he wanted. If he was just great, he wouldn't be good. If he was just good, he wouldn't be great. But we have a God who's both powerful and personal. My possession, it says. You will rule them with an iron scepter. You will dash them to pieces like potter, verse 9 says. But verse 8 says, ask of me. And I will make the nations your inheritance, the ends of the earth your possession. Personal goodness. Ask me. Ask me. Great, powerful, I will crush, I will dash as I see fit. The promise of this King of the Scriptures from the Bible is that we have a powerful King. Not a half man who gets off of his horse and waddles down to say, your life is a sacrifice I'm willing to make. No, we have a God who reveals Himself as to say, my life is a sacrifice that I'm willing to make. But there's also a problem. The promise of this King is, if you have God as your King, He is powerful and personal, but there's a problem. And that is the one of obedience and ownership. Look there, verses 1-3. through three. Why do the nations conspire and the peoples plot in vain? The kings of the earth take their stand and the rulers 
gather together. You and I must obey this Creator God. If you really want to understand the problem with the world, it's mankind's hatred of God's rule over us. If you want to understand the problem in your family, it's your family's hatred of God, of His rule over your family. If you want to understand your personal problem, it's your hatred of God's rule over you. Romans 5. I want you to write this down and read this later together. Romans 5, 6, 8, and 10. Listen to how Romans describes us. You don't have to read it now. I'm going to read it to you. But I want you to meditate on the three ways Romans describes us. You see, at just the right time, when we were still powerless, Christ died for the ungodly. Verse 8. But God demonstrates His own love for this us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Verse 10. For if while we were God's enemies, we were reconciled to Him through the death of His Son, how much more, having been reconciled, shall we be saved through His life? Powerless? Sinners and enemies. And if the Holy Spirit is operational in your life, you will say yes and amen. Because we are told to obey this God. Forgive your enemies. Always. Love your neighbor as yourself. Always. Be holy as I am holy. Always. You shall have no other gods before me. Always. I will by no means clear the guilty. Yeah, but that's the Old Testament. Mm. Jesus says in Luke 14, If anyone comes to me and does not hate father and mother, wife and children, brothers and sisters, yes, even their own life, such a person cannot be my disciple. Jesus says, New Testament, not, I don't want to make a contrast, but if your argument was, Old Testament God was mean and, and angry, New Testament God is loving and kind. Jesus says, if you love me, every other love must look like hate in comparison. That's the standard. Obey. Always. We throw that off because we're the kings. We looked at God and said, you ain't going to rule me. I've got no strings. We're like the little wooden puppet boy doing a little dance before our creator. I've got no strings. We will not, because here's what's interesting. Verse 3 says, let us break their chains, they say. So this, God, this creator God who has made us 
set has owned us. And the kings are saying, let us break their chains, they say, and throw off their fetters. That's what the 84 NIV says. In the 2011 says their shackles. That's not a great translation. Not because I'm brilliant, but because people know Hebrew better than me. It's yoke. It's not this God has, these kings are looking and going, this God has chained me in prison. No, the word is yoke. He's put a harness on me. God has put a yoke on you because He owns you. God has put a harness on us because He made us. He owns us. We are His possession. And you guys, I can see it. It was funny. Like, we were quoting movies. <laughs> oh, this is fun. I like church. And now I can see it on your faces. I said obey, and it has gone quiet here. I said owned, and some of you were thinking about getting up and leaving. I mean, that God owns me. What do you mean? I'm uncomfortable with that. You hate it. We hate it. We minimize it. We suppress it. We're a little apathetic to it. I believe in a God of love. See? Case point proven. You qualify for verses 1 through 3. You're a king who has declared rebellion on the king who has demanded as your creator that you obey him and said to you, I own you. That's the God of the Bible. We're a very religious nation. We like the idea of God. We just don't really like the biblical God who demands obedience because he owns us. Oh, it got hot in here, didn't it? <laughs> but now let's look at the power of this king. There is the promise of this powerful, personal king. But there is a problem. You and I, because we're owned by this God, the yoke has been placed on us as His creatures. He demands perfect obedience. But there's this power. Look at His rule. We see His rule, verses 10 through 12. Therefore, you kings, be wise. Be warned, you rulers of the earth. Serve the Lord with fear and rejoice with trembling. Do you know about God's rule? Dick Lucas, a British scholar, says God does have anger in His nature. Only it is absolutely righteous anger. And that His patience with sinners is not easily going to be taken care of. But that like Jesus in the temple, He will turn out the money changers and upset their desks with His fury. It will be perfectly controlled, but it will be real. You see, God knows He made you to thrive. And if you throw off the yoke that He set on you, you will let some boyfriend or some political party or some boss 
or some girlfriend or some video game throw its yoke back on you. You, you wa- I get it. You want to live without a yoke. You can't. If you throw off God's yoke, you will take someone else's. That's just how you're made. So he warns us, he invites us to be wise, to serve the Lord with fear. Because as it has been said in the past, you got to serve somebody. God's rule is like this. Even Jocko Willink, who is a Navy SEAL, who wrote the, a, a book, and it still is on the New York Times best bestsellers list, Discipline Equals Freedom. That's the principle. This guy doesn't even know Jesus. He was just a Navy SEAL who understood what it's like to win and, and advance in the world. Discipline equals freedom. If you throw off the rule, no one's going to... Gregory plays the piano amazingly. Michael plays the guitar amazingly. I am free from the guitar. I'm free from the piano. I can pick any note I want. I can play them whenever and however I want. And it's noise. Because I haven't taken on the yoke of an artist. Michael plays the constraints of the notes before him, of the chords he knows. Gregory plays the piano because he's taken on the yoke, the discipline that's freedom, that leads to freedom. Because what's interesting is the yoke that we've thrown off, if we embrace the king's yoke and we let his yoke guide us, it becomes the refuge. His yoke for your sexuality. His yoke for your money. His yoke for your body. His yoke for your family. If you, let, if you take it on as discipline, it will lead to freedom. The freedom you think you have is like me playing the piano. You could play anything you want in your life, and it's noise. But you have to set yourself before and say, God, I play the notes you've made me to play. You have designed me. You have created me. I will follow you. The power of this king is he wants to restore you. Forgive. Tell the truth. Come to the table. Know his word. Love his people. Love your enemies. Be generous. That's the yoke. Put it on and you'll find freedom. His wrath. His wrath? Yeah. His wrath is, can flare up in a moment. Do you see that in verse 12? His wrath can flare up in a moment? In a second, decisively, his wrath will be revealed out of nowhere? Like a, a mean foster father? With a backhand? Is that what he's saying? No. That there will be a decisive moment when his wrath is revealed. This is love, 1 John 4 says. Not that we loved God, 
but that He loved us and sent His Son as... The Bible word is propitiation. You know what propitiation means? The putter away of wrath. God is angry that we have ruined His world. And He's going to do something about it. He sent Jesus in His love together that He would deal with His anger. No, He looks at our world. No to the human sin. No to what they're doing. And Jesus says, yes. Yes, I will love them. Yes, your anger can be absorbed in me. Put your wrath away. Put it on me, Father. Let us love them. Let me take on the yoke that they have thrown off. And then Jesus looks at us and says, Come to me, all that are weary by the other yokes, the other lords, the other kings that are saying, I'd gladly make a sacrifice for your life. I'd gladly let you kill yourself for me. I'd gladly let you work 100-hour work weeks so that you can afford the Porsche and the promotion. I'd gladly let you just sell yourself out on Snapchat. I'd gladly let you just dance to your heart content from some master. Are you weary and heavy laden? Jesus says, take my yoke. (laughs) Jesus says, take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle. Let me teach you. Let me love you. Let me restore you. Because Jesus is our refuge. Jesus is our refuge. Did you know in Luke 23, the soldiers also came up and mocked Him? These rulers, these Roman soldiers, they mocked Him. They offered Him wine vinegar and said, if you are king, if you're king, save yourself. But Jesus is no Lord Farquaad. He would never say, your life is a sacrifice I'd gladly make. He wouldn't save Himself because He was saving us. All those who receive Him by faith. Jesus is the promised King spilling out of Psalm 2. Psalm 2 is quoted and attributed more than any other psalm in the New Testament. More than a dozen times. Psalm 2. When Jesus receives the baptism in the Jordan River, it is said, This is my beloved Son, in whom I am well pleased. That's from Psalm 2. When they see the resurrection of Jesus, you have now been my Son, declared enthroned on high. Psalm 2. When Paul goes to the Gentiles, the very first time, to the nations, as his inheritance, Paul says, as it was written in Psalm 2, Jesus is the King. And when the Roman soldiers looked at him and said, save yourself, King of the Jews, He stayed. He took the yoke. He completed what was necessary. Jesus is our King. If you follow Him, 
if you obey Him, if you even kiss Him in delight, He will lead you and restore you and repair you. You're not too bad for Him. You need His character to bubble out of you. You need His people to know you and love you. And you need Him as your King because you're serving somebody. Serve Him who has served you. Serve Him who has first loved you. Let me pray. Heavenly Father, we thank You for this promise. We thank You for this invitation. We thank You for this reminder. Father, You are powerful and personal. Would You equip us by Your Holy Spirit to obey You? We would learn from You. Lord Jesus, You laid Your life down for us. You are our propitiation, our atonement for sin. God, you're not mad at us anymore because it was perfectly satisfied in Jesus Christ. That's too good to be true. And yet you set this meal for us to, to reveal to us. You know what we need. You've ruled us. You are our refuge. Lord, we love you. Thank you for loving us in Jesus' name. Amen. In preparation for the table, this is not a, a Parkway Presbyterian Church table. If your faith is in Christ, I invite you to come uh, and receive this meal. It's for Christians. If you're not a Christian, your faith is not in Christ, uh, just know you are welcome here. Nobody's going to judge you or be mad at you or like, I can't believe they're really here. We're so glad you're here. But this is a celebration of that Jesus has given us everything we stand in need of. This isn't reward for good behavior. Uh, I didn't earn it. I didn't merit it. Not because of the sermon. Logan's not better because of the good sermon, and so now he's rewarded. No, he preached that way because his faith is in the one who's fed him. He prayed that way because we've received Christ. So uh, if you kick the dog on the way in, you fought with the wife, this is not something you let it pass like maybe next week or maybe next month I'll do better. No, you come to the table to receive the reminder, to receive the strength, to feed on Christ spiritually, that you would be known by Him and cared so that you could go to the person that you need to forgive or you need to seek forgiveness with. This is the power of God demonstrated. And also, I want you to know, we're not dragging Jesus down and funneling Him through these elements. We are by faith being lifted up to heaven where Christ is exalted. And spiritually, we're being fed. It's mysterious. It's spiritual. But it's ours. So Christian, I ask you, what do we believe? I believe in God the Father Almighty, Maker of heaven and earth. Jesus Christ, His only Son, our Lord, who was conceived by the Holy Ghost, born of the Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, dead, and buried. He descended to hell. The third day He rose again from the dead. He ascended into heaven and sitteth at the right hand of God the Father Almighty. From thence He shall come to judge the quick and the dead. I believe in the Holy Ghost, 
the Holy Catholic Church, the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and the life everlasting. Amen. Let me read to you from 1 Corinthians chapter 11 these words of institution. Paul says, For I received from the Lord what I also passed on to you. The Lord Jesus, on the night He was betrayed, took bread. And when He had given thanks, He broke it and said, This is My body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of Me. In the same way, after supper, He took the cup, saying, This cup is the new covenant in My blood. Do this whenever you drink it in remembrance of Me. For whenever you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until He comes. Would you pray with me? Heavenly Father, we ask that you would set these common elements aside, that you would use them for your holy purpose, I pray in Jesus' name, amen. On the night that Jesus was betrayed, he looked at his disciples, he took the bread, and he said, this is my body, which is given for you. Take and eat, all of you. Peter says, in this you greatly rejoice. Now for a little while you may have had to suffer grief in all kinds of trials. These have come so that your faith of greater worth than gold may be proved genuine and may result in praise 
glory and honor when Jesus Christ is revealed. Though you have not seen him, you believe in him. And though you do not see him now, you love him and are filled with an inexpressible joy. For you are receiving the goal of your faith, the salvation of your souls. The body of Christ, take and eat, all of you. In the same way, after the meal, Jesus took the cup and he said, this cup is the new covenant poured out in my blood for the forgiveness of sins. Drink from it, all of you. prophet Isaiah says he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. The punishment that brought us peace was upon him. And by his wounds we are healed. We all like sheep have gone astray. Each of us has turned to our own way. On him, the iniquity of us all. Paul says 
I have been crucified with Christ. I no longer live. The life I live in the body, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. The cup of blessing for which we bless, is it not a participation in the blood of Christ? Drink from it, all of you. And let's pray. Heavenly Father, we have tasted and seen that You are good. You have reminded us in Your Word that You are a good, good Father. We have seen not the face of future leaders, but present tense, current leaders in this congregation. We have heard Your Word, Father. And we have received this sacrament that we might be strengthened unto new obedience. Father, let us love one another as you have loved us. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Would you stand together for this doxology?